Welcome to uh, At the Table with Bishop Sue. I'm Sue Hoppert Johnson, the resident bishop of the North Georgia Annual Conference. But we are just talking about uh, the covenant prayer in the Wesley tradition. We're taking it line by line, and we've had some really fruitful conversations. And I'm delighted today uh, to move into the line of the Wesleyan covenant prayer that says, put me to doing put me to suffering. And I'm going to ask uh, uh, one, I'm really delighted to have these folks as my guests today. Uh, uh, and uh, they are all from uh, the district of the amazing Dr. Jessica Terrell. And Jessica is going to introduce them. And uh, then we're going to just see where the Holy Spirit leads this conversation. So Jess, take it away. Thank you, Bishop. Um, so we are privileged to serve in the in the new Central West District. Uh, so that goes uh, from Cobb all the way over uh, to the Alabama line, um, up to Harrelson County, down to Carroll and uh, Douglas uh, and Paulding as well. So it's a great place to serve. Uh, the wonderful folks I have with me today uh, are some of our great clergy and laity here in the Central West District. We have uh, Joya Abrams. Uh, who is the pastor at Bethany in Smyrna, and she is uh, currently serving a first year in a cross-racial appointment there. So, Joya, we're delighted to have you. Also, we have uh, Whit Martin, who is the pastor at Villa Rica in the Garden. And so, Whit, we're glad to have you. You're in year two there, and you actually had a mid-year move last year, so uh, you can speak <laughs> to that blessed. experience. <laughs> That's right. And then we have Brandel Lovern. Uh, from, he is one of our amazing laity from Bremen First. And Brandel, you have served a variety of leadership positions uh, at Bremen First across the years. I think currently you're serving as the lay leader there, but you've been SPRC chair and admin council, and so you've you have run the gamut uh, with being a leader there. And so we're so grateful that you have taken time out of your day to be with us. So Bishop, I'll pass it back over to you. Okay, Jesse. Yeah, when we talk about put me to doing, put me to suffering, as I was thinking about this conversation, well, the first thing I have to do is do a little disclaimer or a clarification. And I've had a couple of uh, clergy write me concerned because uh, when we say put me to doing, put me to suffering, it sounds like God's an agent who just sits up there and puts us to suffering at will. Now, C.S. Yeah. Lewis said, uh, I don't think God causes suffering, but he never misses a good opportunity. And uh, we can talk more about how uh, through uh, times when we didn't get our way, God has used us to grow. But God, you know, only desires our well-being and, and gr his great love for us. And so this can be misinterpreted, you know, I, I, and um, it's kind of frustrating when when cancer or or, uh, you know, death or loss or horrible things happen to people. And they're like, well, God's just putting me to suffering. No, that is not God's agency. Um, I'm always been, uh, you know, bad things happen. And uh, the, the issue is that God didn't cause them or it's not a causative factor, but that God they are part of human life. We see that in scripture. Probably the crucifixion scene is the greatest scene, right? That, that um, even God takes it on the chin, but that God's love prevails and God's plan for us is all things working together for good who love God and are called according to his purpose. So, so uh, the suffering part really is uh, 18th century word. If you lived in 1700s and we re remember that John Wesley was a 18th century Englishman, uh, suffering meant endurance, patience. Uh, uh, so put me to doing, put me to suffering is an acknowledgement that God give me the task to do, you know, whatever I find myself in serving you, whatever hardships, 
I will be patient with, I will endure knowing, and I see this in the lives of the prophets, and it really flies in the face of the prosperity gospel, that sometimes <laughs> becoming an agent of God means things get harder, usually, right? Yeah. And um, you see that with every major biblical figure, when God uses them, uh, you know, fasten your seatbelts, put on your crash helmets, because things are going to get rocky. But, um, but put me to suffering is, in a sense, the suffering is that I trust that whatever hardships I face, and the circuit riders certainly face them, uh, most of them died before age 30. These were the folks that, that were early Methodist preachers and, and John Wesley sent out in England, and then they were deployed in the colonies and then in the United States. Uh, that they, um, man, the hardship, the elements, the sickness they were exposed to, the, um, the injury, the danger, uh, I, I often think about the uh, early circuit riders in Florida, where I served as a superintendent. That area was evangelized by circuit riders from South Carolina. And there are big, uh, you know, major accounts of how many of them were lost in Indian wars and to snakes and to bears and to you name it, they faced it. And so, uh, but the call of God put them to suffering in the sense that they were willing to endure whatever it took to make sure that God's uh, word was, uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who do it. And I think the word suffering has continued into our modern uh, vernacular in a couple of ways. There's a great hymn called, If Thou But Suffer God to Guide Thee, um, which really, you know, if I will uh, put up with whatever I face and follow God, then I will have patience and endurance. And then uh, the other word, I was thinking about it, the other time we hear the word suffer in modern vernacular is uh, he or she doesn't suffer fools gladly, right? I don't put up with that. I don't like that. And uh, I expect that's probably been said about me a few times, but uh, there is a sense of patience and endurance. So I want to have that understanding. And uh, when we think about it, probably nothing requires more uh, suffering, patience, and endurance than the itinerant system of the United Methodist Church. Uh, that is, uh, uh, you know, really you ha have thine own way. You know, there's a sense of, um, and, and, and for the clergy here, um, you know, there is a certain um, endurance and patience required, knowing that uh, Alan says, you know, we can be called to preach, move, or die with a moment's notice, right? that any moment of the day, and I could be moved throughout a region, you could be moved you know, throughout the Southeast, you could be moved in the state, that um, God's purposes, we yield our, our own lives, our families, our own sense of how things should be to something larger and the purpose of God beyond us in its best sense. And uh, I, well, that's what we're gonna discuss this morning. And laity suffer whoever we send to them, right? Uh, that's probably not the best word, but they, they suffer a loss of their own interviewing, their own sense of control, and um, they, they have to be patient and open to what leadership might come their way. And so, uh, and, and um, I'm going to turn it to Jess and, and have her uh, give her reflections, and then we'll get some firsthand uh, witness bearing to uh, tenacity and suffering, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, Bishop Sears, you were talking about, you know, the different things that early Methodist circuit riders had to uh, endure 
and how they were often lost to, you know, skirmishes and war and snake bites. And there's also another um, old phrase that's that's long been out there since the days of circuit riding. And it says they also had to endure like weather elements. So storms, snow. I mean, they're, mm -hmm. you know, like the Postal Service, they were always on the go no matter what the weather conditions were. And so there's this old phrase that's sometimes repeated that says, this weather is only good for crows and Methodist preachers. And so, <laughs> you know, so they were also having to endure the elements as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as the, uh, the other outside forces. So, mm -hmm. but as far as sort of your thoughts um, on put me to doing, put me to suffering, sort of the things that we have to endure uh, as we move around the itinerancy, um, I have found that I often have served in places that I never would have put myself. Mm -hmm. um, and that sometimes I would get the call and I'd be like, where is that? And why am I being sent there? But I have often found that when we as Methodist pastors, when we go where we are sent, when we live into those vows that we take as elders to go where we are sent, no matter what that might be, if we will go and invest ourselves and plant ourselves within that community and follow God's guidance for our actions there and our work and collaboration with the laity, I have often found that even those places I was not sure why I was going there turned out to be some of the biggest blessings in my life. Mm. Um, they have all shaped me and formed me, each one of my appointments. They have made me a better pastor. They've made me a better preacher. You know, they have made me more compassionate. They have made me a stronger administrator. Um, so there, there is a blessing, I think, to be had when we really live into our vows um, as Methodist pastors to go where we are sent, to mm -hmm. live and to be a part of that community and to collaborate well uh, with the laity that are given into our care. Mm -hmm. So I think what we get to do is a privilege. It really yeah. is. I mean, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. You know, it's a great responsibility, but it's also a, a great gift and a blessing if we'll allow it to be. Right. Well, let me ask all my clergy guests, have you ever got an appointment and gone, wow, that's exactly what I wanted. And I am so, I mean, I, I quite frankly, that has never been my experience. Now I've never had to like look up the place on a map and figure out where it was that I really figured that day was coming. I'd always heard of the places I was sent, but you know, I, and, and kind of, it's become kind of famous, but my first ordination service in North Georgia, I said, boy, some of my appointments I feel like the cabinet had been smoking weed, you know, it was like, I just, I just don't get this. <laughs> and I got there and I still thought for a couple of years, I just don't get this, but um, I wouldn't, you know, and now ironically, the places I most, that I went most kicking and screaming are where I'd like to go back uh, because I, I just found and I grew a lot. So, uh, Joya, why don't you tell us your experience and, and some of the hardships, especially that you have to suffer um, going into a setting that where they've never seen anybody, uh, a leader like you before? Well, actually, I, the question that you just asked, um, the appointment that I um, just left mid last year, um, that actually was exactly the answer to prayer. Oh, um, good. Well, yeah, once, you, yeah. Know, you, you, right? you would have had no idea. The senior pastor that I was working with had no idea, but when I saw what was going on at my previous appointment, when all of that was going mm -hmm. on, I got on my knees and I prayed, Lord, I think I have the gifts for that. Um, and so look at that. God. Yeah. Once in a while. <laughs> right. Once in a while. Um, so entering into, uh, the, I, I was born United Methodist. I grew up at Ben Hill United Methodist Church. I tell people I was a fetus 
as a United Methodist. <laughs> um, and so I grew up there. And um, so all of my experience have been in a large black United Methodist church. And so as God called me to ministry, I'm second career clergy. I was an engineer before I was a pastor. Um, I remember sitting in my my first decom and being asked, um, so are you, are you willing to itinerate? And I looked at them and I'm, I'm also a mom. And I said, I don't know what this is going to mean, um, but I'm going to, I'm facing this like I face motherhood. Um, I don't know what kind of children, if I'll have children, um, kind of when we decided to have kids, what God will send. And so I'm kind of, I'm approaching itineracy the same way. I don't know where I'll be sent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, I don't know if it'll fit I, and I don't know if it'll be great, but you know what, that's who I've been sent to love. So here we go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so when I, you know, like I said, my experience of being United Methodist, my whole life was at a large black United Methodist church, um, had been members of kind of, I guess our three largest in the North Georgia conference. And I didn't realize the diversity of churches that we had until mm-hmm. I went to Candler. Um, so I was in seminary. So realizing that reality, um, I, I realized, oh, I, I need to be open to going to a not black church. Oh, <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and so I, I began the process of what does that look like? What does that mean? And I had the chance um, the first summer um, in seminary to go to California, the general church, um, G Corps, general Con- uh, what is it? Commission on Religion and Race had a Face in the Future conference out there about what do cross-racial, cross-racial appointments, what are they? And I didn't mm-hmm. realize how hard they were. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's like, well, we're all one big family in the church, right? No, absolutely not. Right. Racism, white supremacy is quite well embedded in, um, in the United Methodist Church and other mainline denominations. Mm-hmm. And so to recognize that a Black woman at that time was the least desired demographic of clergy mm. for a church to have um, based on their research. And wow. to take that in as a first year seminarian, someone mm. who walked away from a career as an engineer, who was taken on debt <laughs> um, right. in school, to hear that was a blow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had no idea. Um, and so it, it took a lot of soul searching. Like, what does that mean? Like, this is the, this is the denomination that I was born into that I love. I believe in our, this is how I understand theology. I have nowhere else to go. Um, and so to understand how do I prepare myself um, to enter into a space where I may not be wanted and how that mm-hmm. manifests itself. Um, it mm-hmm. takes a lot of, um, as, a, as an individual, it takes a lot of um, trust in, in the bishop and cabinet on where are you going to send me? Um, and also a lot of inner work on um, how do I understand myself as a person, as a pastor? Mm-hmm. How do I understand my blackness, my femaleness? Um, and how do I bring that to bear and, and have confidence in the leadership that God has graced me to have? Mm. Um, and also, and I'm grateful too, that there's been a lot of work done to begin the process of preparing congregations. I think that we we have more control, of course, over we clergy, because you can mandate we go to trainings and, and such, right. but, but with local churches, um, how to help them begin the process of recognizing their implicit bias, um, that we live in a white supremacist culture and so how that influences just their understanding of, of even what a word might mean, um, mm. that, that whiteness, blackness, these aren't just um, ways of talking about our aesthetic. They are ways mm-hmm. of speaking about our, our, our conception of, of our identities and the world. Um, and so how do we prepare people to 
to deal with that um, maybe a definite mismatch of, of ways that we see reality. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's deep sociological and spiritual work. Mm-hmm. Well, when you speak to Joy, and this is <clears throat> what we as a cabinet uh, work on is um, that uh, every, every pastor has a unique witness. And every pastor, uh, every, every congregation can learn something from every pastor. Mm-hmm. But there are always, even, even when you appoint a white pastor to a white congregation, there are always cultural issues. There are always, uh, context is so important. And yes. um, one thing that we always teach in the moving stuff is figure out who, what the sacred cows are. Figure out what your new community values because your culture might not value that. And if you walk in there and insult them or um, threaten their culture, uh, you know, it's Mm -hmm. really got to be, there is a, there's a unique dance and there's a unique spiritual um, bonding that takes Mm -hmm. place when I recognize the other in your leadership, but, but, suffer it right i and i i i open myself to what you bring and um brandel talk to us about uh, your experience because you've seen a lot of pastors come and go and i remember growing up i I grew up in the methodist church too and and just you know the itinerancy was a part of our ingrain every and then it was every four years like clockwork and and they brought such different i mean sometimes we'd feel like it was um you know, 180 degree turn or, and some, you know, they were very different. They were all men. They were all white men, but they were very different in their approach, their giftedness. And we as a congregation had to learn to appreciate them and to, and to uh, see what God was saying through them. So tell us your experience of that. Well, you know, I, um, um, I guess, can you hear me? Okay. Uh huh. Okay, good. Like I said, I'm new to zoom. So yeah, you know, um, Born and raised in Bremen, small town, West Georgia. Uh, born and raised Baptist. I'll just tell mm-hmm. you that right off the mm-hmm. bat. And uh, had a preacher, I guess, for 20 years. And uh, 23 years ago, I went to the Methodist church. Uh, I knew everybody. Small town there. Again, there was the big Baptist church, the big Methodist church. Lee Branham. I guess y'all may know Lee Branham. He was a fixture at uh, Bremen First United Methodist Church. Um Everybody got used to Lee Branham. But um, when I came up to the Methodist Church, um, like I said, 23 years ago, um, Ed Wattsworth was our preacher. Mm-hmm. And I got to know mm-hmm. through Rotary, got to be good friends. And, and it was me and my wife decided it was time for a change and uh, really enjoyed uh, Ed. And then we had Wayne Monroe. And, and you know, Bremen, <clears throat> we have kept probably seven to 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, of our preachers. Uh, Gerald Bonnard, uh, wonderful, wonderful individual. You know, like there again, white men, uh, mid-60s, I guess you could say. You mm-hmm. think back, and and um, and then we had uh, Stacy Young. Now, I'll be 61 in a couple of months, and uh, somebody came up to me. I was the SPR chair, and they said, uh, that's the first time I've had a preacher younger than me. And I said, well, me too, as they were getting older. And, uh, <laughs> and that was an adjustment. <clears throat> you know, mm-hmm. And you think, 
uh, preachers, and we look at different uh, age, but people, they get in their mindset mm-hmm. um, of that age. I don't have an issue with, with age uh, uh, of anything, of, of race. Uh, you know, it's, it's the Word of God. It's mm-hmm. preaching the Word of God. Um, and, and being able to, I want to say, kiss the babies and love on the seniors. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, inc- you know, take care of, of the flock. Uh, but the number one is, is preaching the Word. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. And talking about the, the movement, because there again, like I said, going back to the Baptist thing, you know, usually, you know, 20 years, 25. I mean, it's kind right. of a joke right. about right. that. And people used to talk about, well, I wish I wouldn't lose my preacher. And I said, well, maybe you need to go to be a Baptist. <laughs> and then, you know, mm-hmm. they, they didn't like that joke. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that, that was the thing. But sometimes, you know, we get complacent. Mm-hmm. We get complacent as a congregation. Uh, we like, we're, we're human nature. We don't like mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, it changes good. That mm-hmm. takes time. And, and I and at least I'm not a preacher, but I'm on the other side. I see that they're coming in right now. We have Tommy Green, who, who's this is his fifth, I think. You know, is an interim, wonderful man. Uh, mm-hmm. He's so and I want to say seasoned, great. You know, sermons. You can tell he's 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 a veteran. He's been there. He's been mm-hmm. around, and and that's what they told us. I think Jessica mentioned this. Everybody's been there. They don't want him to leave. And, and mm-hmm. Sunday, I said, uh, Tommy, and his wife Patty. I said, uh, why don't y'all just plan on staying in Bremen? <laughs> <laughs> they say he laughs that we're retired. But um, and I'll say this with 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 the bishop and the and the uh, superintendent and what y'all have done over the years, going way back to the twenty two years I've been involved, you've done an excellent job. Now, when you have 100 churches in in, your, in our, our district, it used to be, I guess, it's probably not that many, that's a big task of mm-hmm. finding that right mix. And you've done an excellent job. Um, yes. You know, and I look back, each person, each pastor we've had, they bring new ideas to the table. There again, we're human nature, you know, right. we don't like change. This yeah. is the way we've always done it, yeah. um, but it, it's a, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And as you know, SPR chair, I, I went through some changes. Um, I was with Gerald, and, and we we had you know a new youth pastor and this and that. And then when Gerald told me, he said, "I'm uh, I'm leaving," I said, "Oh no!" And we just mm-hmm. went through some things and parsonage things like that. It's just it's ongoing thing. Right. Uh, and then like I said, we had we Stacy doing a great job. He's military. He went to full service in the military, mm-hmm. but he brought what was needed. Our church was in the in the management skills of the administration skills mm-hmm. that we really needed too. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's a big change, though. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people kind of some people they it's it's hard for them. seniors mm-hmm. when a young one young person comes in. You know, the seniors go, wait a minute. I, I was used to someone that was 65 years old. Right. Not someone that's 46 years old. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that is, as I, I see in my congregation, uh, is trying to <clears throat> incorporate everyone on the. I, I'm a pharmacist. I'll tell you, <laughs> I, I, I own a pharmacy, born and raised in Bray. My dad was a pharmacist at a drugstore. And my whole thing in my business is customer service. Mm-hmm. Is taking care 
of my customers and mm -hmm. and whether most people come to the drugstore, they're not feeling too well. And I always tell my yeah. techs, remember that. They didn't have a good mm -hmm. night. They wouldn't be in the store. <laughs> really? You know, they may be cranky. Mm -hmm. um, they've had some you know, sickness in the family, whatever. You've got to take that and understand that with everybody's different. And and I have, as I've gotten older, I've learned that. My dad taught me that is to just to make sure the customers, you know, is keep them happy. Mm -hmm. and do whatever you can do. Now, that can relate into being a pastor also, even though, as you said, I got went to a town like, what am I doing here? You know, and, and you preach, and some say, oh, we love you, or some like, who are you? <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and I could see as a pastor thinking, I've got to win these people over, you know, mm -hmm. but I have to make sure I preach the word Right. With the word. And I think I remembered at a seminar I went to several years ago, SPR training, and they mentioned about Wesley that his whole thing was complacency, that they won't need new people to come into town because the preacher got complacent and the congregation got complacent and everything was kind of like they settled in. But we needed to bring some fire. Exactly. To the, you know? Exactly. And yeah. Well, and I think I think you speak to the. Um, the wisdom of it that no preacher has every gift, right? No preacher. And, and so um, from a, from a, you know, several years ago, uh, the Harvard business review said that the worst way to hire somebody is an interview because they will fool you every time. Mm -hmm. And that if you really wanted to staff, well, you would have a group of, of, uh, you know, folks who've been around a long time with a sense of wisdom who would sit and observe and know well the whole uh, possible uh, hiring base and that they would select and deploy. And I was like, well, I just described the cabinet. <clears throat> but there's a <laughs> sense of um, looking at, okay, where is a church now? What did that past leader bring? How did they, you know, a great preacher, you know, and maybe the next person needs to be moving them into the community or helping them with pastoral care or and um, and it's almost a sense of of, uh, you know, the overarching. Let's look at the trajectory of this church and see for this season what it needs. And, you know, uh, uh, it's to me, I've said before, and this always gives people a little pause, but to me, an ideal appointment time is about 10 years. Because then a congregation, then the pastor's not looking for their next appointment, right? That's always looking, I'm looking forward to my next appointment, right? I'm, I'm playing, I'm not really investing here because I have far better things in mind, right? Or, um, and the congregation's like, well, we can just get rid of them, you know, if we don't like them. But if, if 10 years is kind of the expectation, then you gotta, you gotta have a relationship and give each other a chance. And that's a beautiful thing that you've borne witness to, Brandel, when it happens. But also... Um, you know, if, if they stay 20 years, like you said, the church I see gets complacent and the whole institutional memory is of that one pastor. So if you want, if you want to ask me what appointment I don't want, I don't want to follow somebody who's been there for 20 years because and, and, I'm going to, I'm going to be compared and I'm not going to fare well. So it's a difficult thing. Yeah. And, you know, and that still happens today. Some of the, the senior members are thinking, because I always hear Lee Brandon, he's a wonderful man and, and, and everything. But everybody, like you say, every new uh, pastor is going to bring something new to the table. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I go back 15 years ago with uh, Wayne Monroe. He, he kept saying, let's work on the youth, the children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He kept talking about that. Well, we're having dividends today from that. Right. And and so everybody brings something new. And and yes, you would like, you know, the, the ultimate thing. Like I've, I've been on the Raymond City School Board for 25 years and we've hired now This is my third, fourth superintendent, third superintendent, too. But we always try 10 years, you you, you know, and and getting that right superintendent is like, say, a pastor. You you would Mm -hmm. love to have 10 years is a great thing because you don't want to say, okay, I'm ready to move up or I'm ready to retire. Right. Waiting for that. You know, I'm looking, okay, I've got one more year, two more years. I'm ready to retire. You want where they they. They're really interested in in the in the church or their school, and they want to make the best they could ever make it. And yeah. it shows where you're getting the interest in the people, getting new people into your church. And we, and as like I say with Stacy, we were growing, and and it was a wonderful thing. Which the pandemic, uh, I mean, you know, say what we can, yeah. we just have to, you know, it's one of those situations, and getting on technology. Of this this Zoom or or go to meeting and virtual, it's a whole different thing. Um, But we're going to get back there, and Mm -hmm. and um, but it's going to be as the the pastors here, it's going to be a whole different ballgame of trying to get things jump started back, and it's going to take the 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 whole church. Uh, I know there's a lot of people are scared, and, and they're seeing online. That's great, but we've got to get back and i hope with the vaccine and everything we can get back right right it's normalcy and and um it's just it's been a tough it's been a tough year it's been yeah yeah um so i hand it to any pastor that 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 comes our way that that the church has to be behind them behind them and it's tough with some people and I, i saw that in this last one they just didn't want to come on board and i thought just just you know Put your arms around them and just pray and let's move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's perfect. No right. one except Jesus Christ. And and we but we have to accept it to move forward, to, to, to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just hand it what y'all do. I mean, y'all have done an excellent job over the years. And um, excellent job. And and I've always, yeah, you I know, see y'all y'all said we 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 send pastors where they need to be. We feel but it's been, it's, you've done a great job. It, well, I appreciate that. And yeah. and I will be the first to own that sometimes it doesn't work out, you know, that, and boy, nothing grieves us more than when, you know, what we're looking for is the perfect where it just clicks. And, and so I, what I appreciate too about the itinerant system if, is if it's not working, we can acknowledge that and, and get a pastor into a place where their gifts will be appreciated and a congregation get them. So, you know, sometimes it's just chemistry. And, you know, I say all the time, having done, I've done hundreds of weddings uh, in my ministry and I see appointment making like some weddings. There are some folks that I would have uh, sworn they would be together for, you know, till death do they part that boy, I could, this was a match made in heaven in every way. And it lasts two years. Right. Mm. And then there are those where you just go, okay, I'm, I, I think there's enough here to consent to marry them. I think this is a train wreck, but I can't really call it yet. 
and they're still together, you know, 30 years later. It's like, how did that happen? So that's Mm -hmm. kind of, and Jess will bear witness to this. Sometimes the cabinet, we think we have hit it and we've discerned it. And one thing I want to say, and then we'll get to wit because I want to get him to weigh in, but um, this is a spiritual process. And I've had people just snort when I say that, but no, it really is that, that we sit with this and pray over this. We've been working on appointments this week. And we will do it, and then we will all go home, and we use the line that Paul writes, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us, and we start every morning, okay, you've prayed over this, you've looked at this, these proposed moves, does it seem good to the Holy Spirit with you? If you have heartburn or a sense that this is not right, say it. And we will go through, you have no idea, and I, I love Terry Walton, he said, man, it was really fun throwing rocks at the cabinet till I got on it, because most people have no idea all of the things we have to weigh, all of the constraints, all of the the factors that go into this, we'll have it all set and then something will blow it up. And so there really is a lot of spiritual discernment and agony and just trust that um, this will, and, and quite frankly, we're amazed. I mean, in any given year, there may be, I would say two or three that just don't go, but for the most part, and that I give, I want to just say thank you to the congregations and the folks who, who understand that, that this is a spiritually based system and that this is historically Wesleyan, that this is how Wesley saw it. Now, I will say that the, the, the former Baptists like you, Brandel, I'm glad you're a, you're a, you're, you know, we've, we've won you over, but the bane <laughs> of my existence are Baptist, Congregationalists, and corporate America. Because, boy, they try me, especially at large churches who think, Mm -hmm. man, we're just entitled, you know. Um, They want to interview. They want me to send them a list and let them vet it. They want me to, you know, and and that's not how it works. And we do the same process, whether you have a church of 20 or a church of 2,000, we do the same process because I don't think it's fair not to do it that way. But once again... I can tell you when these churches tell me the pastors they're interested in, I'm thinking, well, you're seeing through a glass darkly. You, you do not know what we know about these clergy and their gifts. You do not know. And I've had, I've even had senior pastors and and staff parish people say, you know, and it's usually associates, right? Because they know associates. They're like, we just would really love to have this associate. He would be the perfect or she would be the perfect next pastor of this church. And, and I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm just not, I, I don't like to appoint a po- associates, but I'm just, I'm not seeing that skill set to lead that church. And, and then they'll come back a couple of years later and go, gosh, yeah, you're right. You know, when we do need a pastor, probably not the best way to go. But there is a sense of, of um, churches, you know, and that's just the, the culture we live in of entitlement. Of we want to interview, we want to say, and, and that's not put me to suffering, is it? I mean, this whole thing is built on trust and a sense of, uh, you know, I always say, well, you know, in our cabinet room, we have about 300 years of experience and we've got a bunch of people who've been watching these clergy their whole careers, their whole ministries. They have a sense of, they know these churches, a lot of the cabinets served a lot of these churches. So you can either help, you know, help rely on us to discern and pick, or you can just go blindly and interview and pick. And I think that there's a lot of wisdom. So Whit, uh, I'll, I want you to speak and, and tell us your experience of itineracy. 
I grew up in this system. I mean, I got a call to ministry when I was 16 years old. Um, I, the ministry is, is all I've ever known. I had wonderful grunt work jobs and, and have done manual labor and, and, but, but ministry is something I've been a part of for a long time. I, I, I have a, a hymn book, a sacred harp hymn book that belongs to my <laughs> great, wow. great grandfather, Jones Washington, wow. wrote, who was a circuit writer. Mm-hmm. And when I graduated from seminary from, from Asbury, my aunt gave me that hymn book. I didn't even know it existed. She gave me that hymn book and mounted it, box mounted it, and I put it in my office. Um, and I looked at it every single day, especially as I, uh, as I became a local pastor and then uh, commissioned and ordained. And it always brought me back. It always mm-hmm. brought me back. Um, mm-hmm. All that he went through, and I've got, I've got several surrogate writer um, relatives. And so... Uh, being brought back was always so important to get reoriented, to get refocused. Um, and so I've moved a few times. Um, and every time I would go, I would look at the hymnal uh, and remember what it is that I'm called to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And I didn't look at it one time. And it was the mid-year appointment that that hit. And I realized something that that broke my heart later. And it's that I had so localized the will of God to my current context that I had insulated myself onto this like hyper focus mm-hmm. and being somebody. And I heard you say this in a podcast a, a few weeks ago, um, being Methodist means, you know, we, we have this beautiful collective taking the best from from all of our uh, treasured traditions. And mm-hmm. uh, one of one of my favorite writers, um, Jean-Pierre de Cossade, wrote a book called Abandonment to Divine Providence. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he talks about the sacrament of the present moment. Mm-hmm. And what happened was, is I had, I had, uh, I'd never really struggled with an appointment. I mean, yeah, of course, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have your ups and downs, oh, we're moving. Uh, but, but like my last one, I was like, no, what's happening? And, and I, <laughs> Really, like my whole life went upside down and I had reached out and I was like, I don't understand. And and it's embarrassing on one level. And on another level, I'm thankful for I'm thankful for my reaction. I'm thankful for what I've learned from all of it, uh, because what I learned is, is that the sacrament of the present moment was not the work that I had been envisioning would get accomplished. It was that God was calling me to go. The present moment was God speaking into my work and saying, and now I need you to go. You're being mm-hmm. called. Mm-hmm. Um, and we I, I'm going to be a geek and throw in a, a Star Wars quote. Um, but uh, the, the whole detriment of all nine films is that the people who fail are the people who focus on the future. Mm-hmm. And in the very first movie, that's funny to say, episode one, uh, Liam Neeson's character looks at Ewan McGregor and Ewan McGregor's worried about what's getting ready to happen and he's, he feels something's off and wrong, and he's trying to respond to something he doesn't know. And, and uh, the, the, the character, Liam Neeson's character, looks at him and says, you need to keep your mind on the here and now. You need to pay attention to the living force, because what's alive is this, this moment, this sacramental moment that's right in front of you. And it may be hard, and you may be worried, and you may be enduring, and you may have to persevere, and everything's been turned upside down. Um, and yet God's calling you into something and you don't understand it. And so I, I, I got moved as I process. I mean, the last year I've been grinding and working and, and, and making, uh, just, just attempting to be as faithful as possible. Right. Uh, but I've, I've been going through some of the old Puritan writings that I just love. And Jeremiah Burroughs has this amazing, this amazing quote in his book, the, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. 
And he says, um, the rare jewel of Christian contentment, he says, he often makes the fairest flowers of man's endeavors to wither and brings improbable things to pass in order that the glory of the undertaking may be given to himself. And I was like, we're doing this. Wow. We've got projects and labs and here we go. And we're going to do all this stuff. And, and God's will is, is, I wrote this in my journal last night, the will of God is larger than even your greatest work. Right. And so you think, okay, this is what we're doing. How could, how could there be anything else? And God doesn't just poke a hole in the bubble. I mean, he blows mm -hmm. up the balloon and just says, hey, look, look at what needs to happen here. And so this is the biggest part from Jeremiah Burroughs. He says, God's blessing many times is a secret from his servants so that they do not know from which way it is coming. Right. And the, and the importance of not knowing which way it is coming is because we want to guess it. We want to pay attention to the end result. We want to pay attention mm -hmm. to the future. Um, and, and instead, I should have done the one thing I've done every other time, and that's surrender. Right. And submit and go back to my exactly. office wall. Go back to my office wall, look at the hymnal uh -huh. that is tattered and worn and weather, weather torn and horseback ridden and sang out of and, and, and just ripped apart. Um, and, and to have that there and, and to take that moment and to reorient and say, you're called, you're a sent one and you're being sent right now. Mm -hmm. So yes, the sending can, <laughs> the sending can sometimes blow up our balloon bubble and scare us to death. Um, but I think the most important thing is, is for us to remember that the present moment may not be stay. It may be go. Right. And that is what God has called us to. Then that is where we are to, su to surrender. I know I'm hitting on like the last covenant prayer or two that, that you talked about, but, um, the suffering part and the enduring is, is, um, um, is enduring that God's way is not going to be your way. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I, I have to remember this is, this is not about what I'm doing. Right. And. What I'm doing is is not what's important. It's what God is doing. Jesus said it in John, right? He, mm -hmm. I only do what I father doing. I only do what, and and that's what we need to be about. What we see the Father doing. So if He calls, we go. And the bishop, and, if the bishop calls, right? well, <laughs> and the, but the sense of you know, I always go back to John the Baptist saying, "I must decrease so He can increase." And and the itinerancy, let's just name it. It plays with congregations and clergy's sense of control. Mm -hmm. It plays with their sense of dependence on God. It plays with their sense of, of wanting the familiar. And um, I will recommend a book to everybody that served me well my whole ministry. It's called Necessary Endings by Henry Cloud. And mm -hmm. it's, it's practical. It, it applies to personal life and career life and church life and everything that we would put up with so much that wasn't working or wasn't life-giving just to avoid change. Mm -hmm. And that sometimes when the cabinet calls, whether it's a congregation or a pastor, there's a necessary ending so that God can be glorified even more. And uh, I'll close with this, my own history. Uh, I had discerned a call to the Episcopacy, which is absolutely terrifying. And I knew that I was pursuing the right call because I had been a, I'd been a, a, um, a district superintendent for three years. And I remember Paul Leland had led one of our cabinet retreats and I had some time with him. He was the, uh, at the time he was the Bishop of Alabama, West Florida. And um, I sat down with Paul and he said, well, tell me about your call. 
And I just, I started weeping and I said, you know, Paul, I am either called, and this is after three years, mind you, of sitting with staff parish committees and um, in, in small communities, in beautiful communities. And, and many times I'd go home and say, Alan, I just want to go serve that church for nothing. I want to go serve that church and be Christ in that community for many years and to, to give them leadership that they need. And, 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 um, and I told Paul, I'm either called to be a, a bishop or go pastor a small church because I finally had gotten to the point where I could get rid of all the careerism and all the entitlement and all the measuring myself against every other pastor. And I will confess I have envied and groused and been upset that other people got appointments that I should have gotten. And I realized that all of that was my own immaturity. And so uh, I think that, um, you know, I think the, the itinerancy will continue to uh, be imperiled because we do live in a world where churches want to hire who they want to hire and pastors want to go where they want to go. And they're looking for the next biggest buck and the next biggest glory. But, you know, Henry Nowen said, that to live out your call, I'm trying to remember the three words. It's a call to littleness, powerlessness, and there was one more. But that maturity, you know you're spiritually mature as a congregation or a pastor when you are letting go and, and enduring and, and being open, like you say, with, to the glory of God in ways that you don't control, you don't order, and you don't dictate. So I thank you all for being here today. I think this is really gets at the heart. I mean, somebody said, why are we doing the covenant prayer? Is that really the vision for the church? I'm like, yes, because it speaks to everything that's wrong with our churches, our culture, our own, and let's just name it. And we are, it is a threat. It's deeply threatened right now because we don't want to become more like Christ. We don't want to become little, littler or less powerful we we live in a world that that celebrates the outward appearance but god looks at the heart and that's what we're counting on so i thank you all uh, for your commitment hey joya and wit i thank you for moving <laughs> i thank you for this grand adventure and that's you know and when people say and, and and you know we can probably do another podcast just on how as a mother to watch my child struggle and my husband struggle as a result of moves to watch, you know, there, there's a lot involved here that we didn't even scratch the surface of, but there is a power in, in living into the call and living into God's potential. So put me to doing, put me to suffering. I thank you all. I pray, I pray like crazy that 2021 is far better for all of us than 2020 was and that the church will rise to the challenge and see that God is still moving us outward and calling us to do great things. So thank you all. I appreciate it. And uh, blessings in your ministry and in our common life together. Amen. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.